This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Harvester by Jean Stratton Porter. Read by Cindy Steib. Chapter 16 Granny Moreland's Visit. Part 2 then for a week they worked out life together in the woods the harvester was the housekeeper and the cook he added to his store many delicious broths and stimulants he brought from the city they drove every day through the cool woods often rode on the lake in the evenings walked up the hill to the oak and scattered fresh flowers on the two mounds there and sat beside them talking for a time the harvester kept up his work with the herbs and the little closet for the blue dishes was finished. They celebrated installing them by having supper on the living-room table, with the teapot on one end and the pitcher full of bellflowers on the other. The girl took everything prescribed for her, bathed, slept all she could, and worked for health with all the force of her frail being. And as the days went by, it seemed to the harvester her weight grew lighter, her hands hotter, and she drove herself to a gaiety almost delirious. He thought he would have preferred a dull, stupid sleep of malaria. There was color in plenty on her cheeks now, and sometimes he found her wrapped in the white shawl at noon, on the warmest days Medicine Woods knew in early August, and on cool nights she wore the thinnest clothes to be taken on the lake. The carries came out every other evening, and the doctor watched and worked, but he did not get the results he desired. His medicines were not effective. "'David,' he said one evening, "'I don't like the looks of this. Your wife has fever I can't break. It is eating the little store of vitality she has right out of her, and some of these days she is coming down with a crash. She should yield to the remedies I am giving her. She acts to me like a woman driven wild by trouble she is concealing.' Do you know anything that worries her? No, said the harvester, but I'll try to find out if it will help you in your work. After they were gone, he left the girl lying in the swing, guarded by the dog, and went across the marsh on the excuse that he was going to a bed of thorn-apple at the foot of the hill. There he sat on a log and tried to think. With the mists of night rising around him, Ghosts arose he fain would have escaped. "'What will you give me in cold cash to tell you who she is and who her people are?' Times untold in the past two weeks he had smothered, swallowed, and choked it down. That question she had wanted to ask. Was it for a girl she had known, or was it for herself? Days of thought had deepened the first slight impression he so bravely had put aside. Not into certainty— but a great fear that she had meant herself. If she did, what was he to do? Who was the man? There was a debt she had to pay if he asked it. What debt could a woman pay a man that did not involve money? Crouched on a log, he suffered and twisted in agonizing thought. At last he arose and returned to the cabin. He carried a few frosty blue-green leaves of velvet softness and unusual cutting, prickly thorn-apples full of seeds, and some of the smoother, more yellowish-green leaves of the jimson-weed to give excuse for his absence. 
Don't touch them, he warned as he came to her. They are poison and have disagreeable odor, but we are importing them for medicinal purposes. On the far side of the marsh, where the ground rises, there is a waste place just suited to them, and so long as they will seed and flourish with no care at all, I might as well have the price as the foreign people who raise them. They don't bring enough to make them worth cultivating, but when they grow alone and with no care, I can make money on the time required to clip the leaves and dry the seeds. I must go wash before I come close to you. The next day he had business in the city, and again she lay in the swing and talked to the dog while the harvester was gone. She was startled as Belshazzar arose with a gruff bark. She looked down the driveway, but no one was coming. Then she followed the dog's eyes and saw a queer little old woman coming up the bank of singing water from the north. She remembered what the harvester had said, and rising she opened the screen and went down the path. As the girl advanced, she noticed the scrupulous cleanliness of the calico dress and gingham apron, and the snowy hair framing a bronzed face with dancing dark eyes. "'Are you David's new wife?' asked Granny Morland with laughing inflection. "'Yes,' said the girl. "'Come in. He told me to expect you. I am so sorry he is away, but we can get acquainted without him. Let me help you.' "'I don't know, but that ought to be the other way about. "'You don't look very strong, child.' "'I am not well,' said the girl. "'But it's lovely here, and the air is so fine. "'I am going to be better soon. "'Take this chair until you rest a little, "'and then you shall see our pretty home "'and all the furniture and my dresses.' "'Yes, I want to see things. "'My, but David has tried himself.' I heard he was just tearing up Jack over here, and I could get the sound of the hammerin', and one day he asked me to come and see about his beddin'. He had that Lizzie Crofter to wash for him, but if I hadn't just stood over her, his blankets would have been ruined. She's no more respect for fine goods than a pig would have for cream pie. I hate to see woolens abused, as if they were human. My, but things is fancy here since what David planted is growing. Did you ever live in the country before? No. Where do you hail from? Well, not from the direction of hail, laughed the girl. I lived in Chicago, but we were, were not rich, and so I didn't know the luxury of the city, just the lonely, difficult part. Do you call Chicago lonely? A thousand times more so than medicine woods. Here I know the trees will whisper to me, and the water laughs and sings all day, and the birds almost split their throats making music for me. But I can imagine no loneliness on earth that will begin to compare with being among the crowds and crowds of a large city. And no one has a word or look for you. I miss the sea of faces and the roar of life. At first I was almost wild with the silence. But now I don't find it still any more. The harvester is teaching me what each sound means, and they seem to be countless. You think, then, you'll like it here? I do indeed. Anyone would. Even more than the beautiful location, I love the interesting part of the harvester's occupation. I really think that gathering material to make medicines that will allay pain 
is the very greatest of all the great works a man can do. Good, cried Granny Moreland, her dark eyes snapping. I've always said it. I've tried to encourage David in it, and he's just capital at putting some of his stuff in shape and combining it in as good medicine as you ever took. This spring I was all crippled up with the rheumatiz until I wanted to holler every time I had to move, and sometimes it got so aggravatin' I'm not right sure but I done it. Long comes David and says, I can fix you something, and bless you if the boy didn't take the tucks out of me until here I am, and tickled to pieces that I can get here. This time last year I didn't care if I lived or not. Now seems as if I'm caperish as a three-weeks lamb. I don't see how a man could do a bigger thing than to stir up life in you like that. I think this place makes an especial appeal to me, because shortly before I came I had to give up my mother. She was very ill and suffered horribly. Every time I see David going to his little laboratory on the hill to work a while, I slip away and ask God to help him to fix something that will ease the pain of humanity, as I would like to have seen her relieved. Why, you poor child! No wonder you are looking so thin and peaked. Oh, I'll soon be over that, said the girl. I am much better than when I came. I'll be coming over to trade pie with you before long. David says you are my nearest neighbor, so we must be close friends. Well, bless your big heart! Now who ever heard of a pretty young thing like you wanting to be friends with a plain old countrywoman? Why, I think you are lovely, cried the girl. And all of us are on the way to age, so we must remember that we will want kindness then more than at any other time. David says you knew his mother. Sometime won't you tell me all about her? You must, very soon. The harvester adored her and Dr. Carey says she was the noblest woman he ever knew. It's a big contract to take her place. Maybe if you could tell me all you can remember, I could profit by much of it. Granny Moreland watched the girl keenly. She wa'n't no ordinary woman, that's sure, she commented. But she didn't make no common man out of her son, either. I've always contended she took the job too serious, and wore herself out at it. But she's certainly done the job up prime. If she's above cloud leaning over the ramparts looking down, though it gets me as to what foundation they use or where they get the stuff to build the ramparts. But if they is ramparts and she's peeking over them, she must take a lot of solid satisfaction in seeing that David is not only the man she fought and died to make him, but he's give her quite a margin to spread herself on. She loud to make him a big man. "'but you got to know him close and plenty, "'for it strikes you just what his size is. "'I've watched him pretty sharp "'and tried to help what I could since Marthy went, "'and I'm frank to say I'd rather see David happy "'than be happy myself. "'I've had my fling. "'The rest of the way I'm willing to take what comes "'with the best grace I can muster "'and wear a smiling face to betoken the joy I have had.' but it cuts me sore to see the young sufferin'. "'Do you think David is unhappy?' asked the girl eagerly. "'I don't see how he could be,' cried the old lady. "'Of course he ain't. 
appears as if he's got everything to make him the proudest, best satisfied of men. I'll own I was mighty anxious to see you. I know the kind of woman it would take to make David miserable, and it seems sometimes as if men, that is, good men, are plumb stone blind when it comes to picking a woman. They just hitch up with everlasting misery, easy as dew rolling off a cabbage leaf. It's such a blessed sight to see you, and hear your voice, and know you're the woman anybody can see you be. Why, I'm so happy when I sat here and contemplate you. I want to cackle like a pullet, announcing her first egg. Ain't this porch the prettiest place? Come see everything, invited the girl, rising. Granny Moreland followed with alacrity. Bare floors, she cried. Wouldn't that best you? I saw they was finished capital when I was over, but I allowed they'd be covered afore you come. Don't you like nice flowery bristles carpets, honey? No, I don't, said the girl. You see, when rugs are dusty, they can be rolled, carried outside, and cleaned. The walls can be wiped, the floors polished, and that way a house is always fresh. I can keep this shining germ-proof and truly clean, with half the work and none of the danger of heavy carpets and curtains. I don't doubt but them is true words, said Granny Moreland earnestly. Work must be easier and sooner done than it was in my day, or people just couldn't have houses the size of this, or the time to gad that women have now. From the looks of the streets of Onabasha, you wouldn't think a woman had had a baby to tend, a dinner pot of bilin', or a bacon of bread since the flood. And the country is just as bad as the city. We're a-apin' them to beat the monkeys at a show. I hardly got a neighbor that ain't got figured Brussels carpet, a furnace, a windmill, a piany, and her own horse and buggy. Several's got automobiles, and the young folks are visitin' around, a-ridin' the trolleys, going to college and copyin' city ways. Amos Peters, next to us, goes bareheaded in the hayfield and wears gloves to pitch and plow in. I tell him he reminds me of these city women that only wears the lower half of a waist and no sleeves and a yard of fine goods mopping the floors. Well, if that don't beat the nation, ain't them Marthy's old blue dishes? Let me show you. The girl opened the little cupboard and exhibited the willow ware. The eyes of the old woman began to sparkle. Foundation or no foundation, I do hope them ramparts is a go, she cried. If Marthy Langston is squintin' over them, and she sees her old chiny put in a fine cupboard, and her little shawl round as purty a girl as ever stepped, and knows her boy is gettin' what he deserves, good Lord, she'll be like to Elsie Almighty and sit on the throne herself. About everything in life was a disappointment to her, except David. Now if she could see this, won't I rub it into the neighbors and my boys' wives? I don't understand, said the bewildered girl. Course you don't, honey, explained the visitor. It's like this. I don't know anybody, man or woman, in these parts that ain't rampaging for change. They ain't one of them that would live in a log cabin though they's not a house in twenty miles of here that fits its surroundings and looks so homelike as this. 
they run up big fancy brick and frame things all turns and gables and gay as frosted picnic pie and work and slave to get these very carpets you say ain't healthy and the chairs you say you wouldn't give house room and they use their grandmother's chiny for bacon scraps and grease dishes and hide it if these visitors all of them strainin after something they can't afford and that ain't healthy when they get it because somebody else is doin the same thing mary peters says she is afeard of her life in their new steam wagon and she says andy gets so nervous runnin it he just keeps on a jerkin and drivin all night and she thinks he'll soon go to smash himself if the machine doesn't beat him but they are keepin it up because greystons is and so it goes all over the country now i call it slap right in the face to have a chicagee woman come to the country to live and enjoy a log cabin bare floors and her man's grandmother's dishes if there ain't marthy's old blue coverlid all so carefully spread on a splinter new sofy landy i can't wait to get to my son john's he's got a woman that would take two coppers off the collection plate while she was pretendin to put one on if she could and then spend them for a brass pen or a string of glass beads won't her eyes bung when i tell her about this she wanted my peter hartman cover for her ironin board show me the rest this is the dining room said the girl leading the way granny moreland stepped in and sent her keen eyes ranging over the floor walls and furnishings she sank on a chair and said with a chuckle now you go on and tell me all about it honey just what things are and why you fix them and how they are used the girl did her best and the old woman nodded in delighted approval it's the purtiest thing i ever saw she announced a minute ago i'd a said them blue walls back there just like october skies in indian summer and the brown rugs like leaves in the woods couldn't be beat but this green and yaller is prettier yet that blue room will keep the best lookin part of fall on all winter and with a roarin wood fire it'll be capital and no mistake but this here is spring just spring eternal and that's best of all looks like it was about time the leaves was bustin and things pushin up it wouldn't surprise me a mite to see a flock of swallers come sailin right through these winders and here's a place big enough to lay down and rest a spell right handy to the kitchen where a body gets tiredest without runnin a half mile to find a bed and in the mornin you can look down to the still waters and in the afternoon when the sun gets around here you can pull that blind and lift your eyes to the hills like david of the bible says my didn't he say the prettiest things i never read nothin could touch him have you seen the psalms arranged in verse as we would write it now you don't mean to tell me david's been put into real poetry yes some bibles have all the poetical books in our forms of verse well sometimes i get kind of knocked out as a rule i hold to old ways i think they're the healthiest and the most favorable to the soul but they some changes come along that's got such hard common sense to recommend them that i wonder the past generations didn't see sooner now take this an hour ago 
I'd told you I'd read my father's Bible to the end of my days. But if they's a new one that's got David, Solomon, and Job in natural form, I'll have one, and I'll get a joy I never expected out of life. I ain't got so much poetry in me, but it always riled me to read. 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. 8. The statutes of the Lord are right. 9. The fear of the Lord is clean. And so it goes on. About as much figures as they is poetry. Always did worry me. So if they make Bibles cordon to common sense, I'll have one tomorrow, if I have to walk to Anabasha to get it. Lousy me! If you ain't gathered up Marthy's old pink tea set, and give it a show, too. Did you do that to please David, or do you honestly think them as nice dishes? I think they are beautiful, laughed the girl, sinking to a chair. I don't know that it did please him. He had been studying the subject, but something saved him from buying anything until I came. I'd have felt dreadfully if he had gotten what he wanted. "'What did he want, honey?' asked the old lady in an awestruck whisper. "'Eggshell china and cut glass.' "'And you wouldn't let him? Woman, what do you want?' "'A set of tulip-yellow dishes with Dutch little figures on them. "'They are so quaint, and they would harmonize perfectly with this room.' "'The old lady laughed gleefully. "'My, I wouldn't have missed this for a dollar,' she cried. It just does my soul good. More'n that, if you really like Marthy's dishes and are going to take care of them and use them right, I'll give you mine too. I ain't never had a girl. I've always hoped she'd a had some judgment of her own and not been eternally apin if I had, but the Lord may have saved me many a disappointment by sending all mine boys. Not that I'm laying the babies on to the Lord at all, I just got into the habit of saying that, cause everybody else does. But all mine, I had a pretty good idea how I got them. If a girl of mine wouldn't a had more sense, raised right with me, I'd a been pretty bad cut up over it. Of course, I can't be held responsible for the girls my boys married, but the other day, Emmeline, that's John's wife, John is the youngest, and I sort of cling to him. Emmeline, she says to me, Mother, can't I have this old pink and green teapot? My heart warmed right up to the child, and I says, What do you want it for, Emmeline? And she says, To draw the tea in. Cracky Dinah, that fool woman meant to set my grandmother's wedding present from her pa and ma, dishes same as Marthy Washington used, on the stove to bile the tea in. I just snorted. No, says I, you can't, for I die, says I. I'll meet up with some woman that'll love dishes and know how to treat them. I think just about as much of David as I do my own boys, and I don't make no bones of the fact that he's a heap more of a man. I'd just as soon my dishes went to his children as to John's. I'll give you every piece I got, if you'll take care of them. Would it be right? wavered the girl. Right? Why, I'm just telling you, the fool women would bile tea in them, make grease saucers of them, and use them to dish up the bacon on. 
wouldn't you a heap rather see them go into a cupboard like david's ma's is in and where they'd be taken care of if they was yours i guess you would well if you feel that way and really want us to have them i know david will build another little cupboard on the other side of the fireplace to put yours in and i can't tell you how i'd love and care for them i'll just do it said granny morland i got about as many blue ones as marthy had and mine are prettier than hers and my luster is brighter for i didn't use it so much is this the kitchen well if i ever saw such a cool white place to cook in before ain't david the beatenest hand to think up things he got the start of that taking care of his ma all his life he sort of learned what a woman uses and how it's handiest not that other men don't know it's just that they are too mortal selfish and careless to fix things well this is great now when you bile cabbage and the wash always open your winders wide and let the steam out so it won't spoil your walls i'll be very careful promised the girl now come and see my bathroom closet and bedroom well as i live ain't this fine i'll bet a purty that if i'd a had a room and a trough like this to soak in when i was wore to a frazzle i wouldn't a got all twisted up with rheumatiz like i am it just looks restful to see i never washed in a place like this in all my days it must feel grand to be wet all over at once now everybody ought to have such a room and use it at all hours like david does the lake did you ever see his beat to go swimming he's always in splashin been at it all his life i used to be scared when he was a little tyke he soaked so much peered like he'd wash all the substance out of him but it only made him strong has he ever been ill not that i know of and i reckon i'd noted if he had well what a clothes press i never saw so many dresses at once ain't they purty oh i wish i was young and could have one like that yeller and i'd like to have one like your lavender right now my you are lucky to have so many nice clothes it's a good thing most girls haven't got them or they'd stand primpin all day trying to decide which one to put on i don't see how you tell yourself i wear the one that best hides how pale i am answered the girl i use the colors now when i grow plump and rosy i'll wear the white granny morland dropped on the couch and assured herself that it was martha's pink peter hartman then she examined the sunshine room well i got to go back to the start she said at last this beats the dining room this is the prettiest thing i ever saw oh i do hope they ain't so run to white in heaven as some folks seems to think used to be scandalized if a body took anything but a white flower to a funeral now they tell me that when jedge stilton's youngest girl come from new york to her pa's burying she fetched about a wash-tub of blood-red roses put them all over him too said he loved red roses livin and so he was goin to have them when he passed over now if they are lettin up a little on white on earth maybe some of the stylish ones will carry the fashion over yonder if heaven is like this i won't spend none of my time frettin about the foundations i'll just forget there is any 
even if we do always have to be so particular to get them solid on earth talk of gold harps can't you almost hear them and listen to the birds and that water say you won't get lonesome here will you indeed no answered the girl wouldn't you like to lie on my beautiful couch that the harvester made with his own hands and i'll spread mother langston's coverlet over you and let you look at all my pretty things while i slip away a few minutes to something i'd like to do i'd love to said the old woman i never had a chance at such fine things david told me he was making your room all himself and that he was going to fill it chuck full of everything a girl ever used and i see he done it right and proper away last march he told me he was buildin for you and i hankered so to have a woman here again even though i never supposed she'd be sociable like you and i egged him on just all i could i never would have supposed the boy could marry like this all by himself the girl went to the ice chest to bring some of the fruit juice chilled berries and to the pantry for bread and wafers to make a dainty little lunch that she placed on the veranda table and then she and granny morland talked until the visitor said that she must go the girl went with her to the little bridge crossing singing water on the north there the old lady took her hand honey she said i'm going to tell you something i am so happy i can pert near fly last night i was coming down the pike over there chasin home a contrary old gander of mine and i looked over on your land and i see david settin on a log with his head between his hands a lookin like grim death if i ever see it my heart plumb stopped says i she's a failure she's a bustin the boy's heart i'll go straight over and tell her so i didn't dare bespeak him but i was on nettles all night i just laid a studyin and a studyin and i says come mornin i'll go straight and give her a curry comin that'll do her good and i started a feelin pretty grim and here you came to meet me and wiped it all out of my heart in a flash it did look like the boy was grievin but i know now he was just thinkin up what to put together to take the ache out of some poor old carcass like mine it never could have been about you like a half-blind old fool i thought the boy was sufferin and here he was only studyin like as not he was thinkin what to do next to show you how he loves you what an old silly i was i'll sleep like a log tonight to pay up for it good-bye honey you better go back and lay down a spell you do look mortal tired the girl said good-bye and staggering a few steps sank on a log and sat staring at the sky oh he was suffering and about me she gasped a chill began to shake her and feverish blood to race through her veins he does and gives everything i do and give nothing oh why didn't i stay at uncle henry's until it ended it wouldn't have been so bad as this what will i do oh, what will i do oh mother mother if i'd only had the courage you did she arose and staggered up the hill passed the cabin and went to the oak there she sank shivering to earth and laid her face among the mosses the frightened harvester found her at almost dusk when he came from the city with the dutch dishes 
and helped a man launch a gay little motorboat for her on the lake. "'Why, Ruth! Ruth, girl!' he exclaimed, kneeling beside her. She lifted a strained, distorted face. "'Don't touch me! Don't come near me!' she cried. "'It is not true that I am better. I am not. I am worse. I never will be better. And before I go I've got to tell you of the debt I owe. Then you will hate me. And then I will be glad. Glad, I tell you. Glad! When you despise me, then I can go.' and know that some day you will love a girl worthy of you. Oh, I want you to hate me. I am fit for nothing else. She fell forward, sobbing wildly, and the harvester tried in vain to quiet her. At last he said, Well then, tell me, Ruth. Remember, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I will believe nothing against you, not even from your own lips, when you are feverish and excited as now. But if it will quiet you, tell me and have it over. See, I will sit here and listen, and when you have finished, I'll pick you up and carry you to your room, and I am not sure, but I will kiss you over and over. What is it you want to tell me, Ruth? She sat up, panting, and pushed back the heavy coils of hair. I've got to begin away at the beginning to make you see, she said. The first thing I can remember is a small, such a small room, and mother sewing, and sometimes a man I called father. He was like Henry Jameson, made over tall and smooth, and more, oh, much more heartless. He was gone long at a time, and always we had most to eat, and went oftener to the parks, and were happiest with him away. When I was big enough to understand, mother told me that she had met him and cared for him when she was an inexperienced girl. She must have been very, very young, for she was only a girl as I first remember her and oh so lovely but with the saddest face i ever saw she said she had a good home and every luxury and her parents adored her but they knew life and men and they would not allow him in their home and so she left it with him and he married her and tried to force them to accept him but they would not at first she bore it later she found him out and appealed to them but they were away or would not forgive and she was a proud thing, and would not beg more after she had said she was wrong, and would they take her back. I grew up, and we were girls together. We embroidered, and I drew, and sometimes we had little treats and good times, and my father did not come often, and we got along the best we could. Always it was worse on her, because she was not so strong as I, and her heart was secretly breaking for her mother, and she was afraid he would come back any hour. She was tortured that she could not educate me more than to put me through the high school. She wore herself out doing that, but she was wild for me to be reared and trained right. So every day she crouched over delicate laces and embroidery, and before and after school I carried it and got more. And in vacation we worked together. But living grew higher, and she became ill and could not work, and I hadn't her skill and the drawings didn't bring much, and I'd no tools. Ruth, for mercy's sake, let me take you in my arms. If you've got to tell this to find peace, let me hold you while you do it. Never again, said the girl. You won't want to in a minute. You must hear this, because I can't bear it any longer. And it isn't fair to let you grieve and think me worth loving. Anyway, I couldn't earn what she did, and I was afraid, for a great city is heartless to the poor.' 
One morning she fainted and couldn't get up. I can see the awful look in her eyes now. She knew what was coming. I didn't. I tried to be brave and to work. Oh, it's no use to go on with that. It was just worse and worse. She was lovely and delicate. She was my mother, and I adored her. Oh, man, you won't judge harshly. No, cried the harvester. I won't judge at all, Ruth. I see now. Get it over if you must tell me. One day she had been dreadfully ill for a long time, and there was no food or work or money, and the last scrap was pawned, and she simply would not let me notify the charities, or tell me who or where her people were. She said she had sinned against them and broken their hearts, and probably they were dead, and I was desperate. I walked all day from house to house where I had delivered work, but it was no use. No one wanted anything I could do and I went back frantic and found her gnawing her fingers and gibbering in delirium. She did not know me, and for the first time she implored me for food. Then I locked the door and went on the street, and I asked a woman. She laughed and said she'd report me, and I'd be locked up for begging. Then I saw a man I passed sometimes. I thought he lived close. I went straight to him and told him my mother was very ill and asked him to help her. He told me to go to the proper authorities. I told him I didn't know who they were or where, and I had no money, and she was a woman of refinement and never would forgive me. I offered, if he would come to see her, get her some beef tea, and take care of her while she lived, that afterward... The girl's frail form shook in a storm of sobs. At last she lifted her eyes to the harvesters. There must be a god and somewhere at the last extremity he must come in. The man went with me, and he was a young doctor, who had an office a few blocks away, and he knew what to do. He hadn't much himself, but for several weeks he divided, and she was more comfortable and not hungry when she went. When it was over, I dressed her the best I could in my graduation dress, and folded her hands and kissed her goodbye, and told him I was ready to fulfill my offer, and— Oh, man, he said he had forgotten. God, panted the harvester. We couldn't bury her there, but I remembered my father had said he had a brother in the country, and once he had been to see us when I was very little, and the doctor telegraphed him, and he answered that his wife was sick, and if I was able to work, I could come, and he would bury her, and give me a home. The doctor borrowed the money, and bought the coffin you found her in. He couldn't do better, or he would, for he learned to love her. He paid our fares and took us to the train. Before I started, I went on my knees to him and worshipped him as the Almighty, and I am sure I told him that I always would be indebted to him, and any time he required I would pay. The rest you know. Have you heard from him, Ruth? No. It was yourself the other day on the bridge. Yes. Did he love you? Not that I know of. No, nobody but you would love a girl who appeared as I did then. The harvester strove to keep a set face, but his lips drew back from his teeth. Ruth, do you love him? Love, cried the girl. A pale, expressionless word. Adora would come closer. I tell you she was delirious with hunger and he fed her. She was suffering horrors and he eased the pain. She was lifeless, and he kept her poor tired body from the dissecting table. 
I would have fulfilled my offer and gone straight into the lake, but he spared me, man, he spared me. Worship is a good word. I think I worship him. I tried to tell you, before you got that license I wanted you to know. I remember, said the harvester, but no man could have guessed that a girl with your face had agony like that in her heart, not even when he read deep trouble there. I should have told you then. I should have forced you to hear. I was wild with fear of Uncle Henry, and I had nowhere to go. Now you know. Go away, and the end will come soon. The harvester arose and walked a few steps toward the lake, where he paused, stricken, but fighting for control. For him, the light had gone out. There was nothing beyond. The one passion of his life must live on, satisfied with a touch from lips that loved another man. Broken sobbing came to him. He did not even have time to suffer. Stumblingly he turned, and going to the girl he picked her up, and sat on the bench holding her closely. "'Stop it, Ruth,' he said unsteadily. "'Stop this. Why should you suffer so? I simply will not have it. I will save you against yourself and the world. You shall have all happiness yet. I swear it, my girl. You are all right. He was a noble man, and he spared you because he loved you, of course. I will make you well and rosy again.' and then I will go and find him and arrange everything for you. I have spared you, too, and if he doesn't want you to remain here with me, Mrs. Carey would be glad to have you until I can free you. Judges are human. It will be a simple matter. Hush, Ruth, listen to me. You shall be free. At once, if you say so, you shall have him. I will go and bring him here, and I will go away. Ruth, darling, stop crying and hear me. You will grow better, now that you have told me. It is this secret that has made you feverish and kept you ill. Ruth, you shall have happiness yet, if I have got to circle the globe and scale the walls of heaven to find it for you. She struggled from his arms and ran toward the lake. When the harvester caught her, she screamed wildly and struck him with her thin white hands. He lifted and carried her to the laboratory, where he gave her a few drops from a bottle and soon she became quiet. Then he took her to the sunshine room, laid her on the bed, locked the screens and her door, called Belshazzar to watch, and ran to the stable. A few minutes later, with distended nostrils and indignant heart, Betsy, under the flail of an unsparing lash, pounded down the hill toward Onabasha. End of chapter 16 Part 2